Welcome to the Anime Research Group. With so much anime produced each season, many interesting shows just slip through the and don't get the fair hearing they deserve. I'm Ian. I'm Denny. I'm Freya. And each week we get together to give one show its chance. Watch the first few episodes and discuss what we thought of it. And this week, Tokimeki Tonight. The show ran from October 7th, 1982 until September 22nd, 1983 for a total of 34 episodes. It's a supernatural shoujo sitcom and was made by Group Tack, a studio we've not talked about before, but they're responsible for shows such as the original Battleship Yamato, Touch, the Night on the Galactic Railroad anime adaptation, and Flint the Time Detective. That one's just to me, amongst others. Sadly, they filed for bankruptcy in uh, 2010, and most of their remaining assets were sold off. Do you know who bought them? That's the, that's how. The... I think I think part of it formed an original group, and part of it was bought by Zebek and somebody else. I don't remember. The anime is based on a manga by Koi Ikeno that ran for 30 volumes from 1982 until 1994. This, of course, means that the anime ended a decade before the manga, which gives an anime original ending, but I can't think of that many works where the manga ran for like a decade longer than uh, the anime did. There was an eventual sequel called Tokimeki Midnight, although it was an alternate retelling with reverse roles rather than a straight-up sequel. The anime was directed by Hiroshi Sasagawa, and on that note, Freya? Hiroshi Sasagawa, amazingly, is still alive. Good for him. <laughs> a list of classics that this man has directed. So, uh... Kassan, the second season of Gatchaman, the old one, of course. Ninja Hattori-kun, I think all of it. Uh, Space Ace, and probably most famous in the West, Speed Racer. Nah. Unfortunately, despite these all being classics, we've not seen any of them. A long and storied career that uh, we can't really talk about, and uh, I couldn't find anybody talking about him, unfortunately. So there you go. Some people, sadly... Uh, get left by the wayside in the history of anime and <laughs> media in general, uh, including our uh, series composer, Toshio Okabe, who has only worked on two other things. Um, I didn't write down what one of them was. So he wrote nine episodes of Human Crossing, whatever that is. He didn't work on anything else outside of anime, so I guess it's just one of those weird things that happens. Uh, our composer has also not worked on that much. Um, Kazuo Otani, not the Japanese-American who was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor for stuff he did in World War II. And he's done music for uh, the old Cat's Eye show, something called Little Women and Oishimbo. And that's all I've got to say about this stuff. Since the anime is that old, it's not surprising that there wasn't really that much information about it on the net besides people remember seeing it in their childhood. So I guess we can jump straight into the episodes. So episode one is called Ranzo Eto's Secret. The episode starts off with a fight between uh, the two parents uh, of the Eto family, Mori Eto and Shira Eto. They're basically having what appears to be like a monthly fight about the fact that their daughter has no supernatural powers, whereas one of them, the father, is a vampire, and the mother is a werewolf. Uh, but what seems kind of problematic to us, Rinze, uh, she didn't seem that bothered by it, she just writes in her diary, I hope my parents have fun. <laughs> <laughs> but skipping past the fight, she's transferring into her high school uh, the next day. 
for some reason, she uses her father as an umbrella, which seems to be a, a vast abuse of her father's good nature. So we get our classroom introduction scene. Hi, everyone. Be nice to this young lady. And then Kuloman Shin Maccabi comes in afterwards, literally with, a, with the Superman opening. <laughs> <laughs> and it's love at first sight for Rinza in classic shoujo fashion. And they get paired up almost imme- uh, pretty much immediately. There's two empty seats at the back. They're going to sit there and she's spooning over him, but not for too long because there's a test. Well, neither of them are prepared, so they cheat off the guy in front of them, <laughs> as you do. Which he literally has the answers written on his back and they pull up his shirt to look at them. It just makes you wonder, well, how he knew what the what the answers <laughs> were going to be. Uh, that's a good question, actually. Well, he presumably had to get somebody else to write on his back. But this is uh, not a complete scene because this gives us a chance to introduce Yoko Kamiya who is going to be Rinze's rival for Shun's affections. She rats on them, as you do. Yeah, so cut to the end of the day. Yoko is going home. She decides that I'm going to break her, I'm going to break Rinze's umbrella. That'll show her. Thus injuring her father. And she gets picked up by her dad who is like the local mafia uh, well, Yak is a head honcho, dude. It's Fat Hitler with a clown moustache. And unfortunate minstrel lips. Shun is just going to be like, well, he's like the richest guy in town. But... And by the way, you're weird for not being afraid to talk to me and you want to go home together? What's wrong with you? I'm a lone wolf. And Rinse is just like, man, he's so cool. For some reason, Yoko decides that rather than just going away with her dad, that she needs to go back and explicitly warn Rinza off of Shun. In like, so we get to the girls' bathroom. She says that they're fiancés. I'm not actually sure if that's true, and that there's no way he would fall for the likes of you anyway. And then we have a big cat fight in the bathroom. Red slaps in the face. Tom and Jerry levels of dust being kicked up. It's during this fight that Rinza bites Yoko. Oh, uh, you mean Ranze? Ranze bites Yoko. That's what he said, isn't it? I think I've been saying Rinze this entire episode. <laughs> this is what happens when you name two characters yes. almost the exact same name. But anyway, so Ranza bites Yoko and she turns into Yoko. It's a bit of a confusion. She's like, yes, I finally manifested my supernatural powers. I'm not a loser. Uh, but also, oh shit, how am I going to get home? And sure enough, she goes out and Yoko's dad picks her up and she's like, oh, come on, you promised me a day after school, blah, 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 blah. And takes her to... A Chinese restaurant and she has to try and escape and she tries to get out the window in the bathroom but one of the goons takes her back cut to the evening she finally arrives home and her parents don't believe that she is who she says she is quite understandably the dad wants to pick a fight with her because she like broke several parts of his body when she bent the umbrella and then the mother starts scratching her face but for some reason the younger brother Rinze <laughs> does recognize that she is Ranze. And this is enough to satisfy her parents. They're ecstatic. There's fireworks. There's disco. There's offensive Native American dancing. The mother turns her back into, into her normal form by sprinkling her with pepper to make her sneeze. Apparently, this is a well-known thing in the that is mentioned in the Bloodsuckopedia. <laughs> yes, that is what they called it in the subtitles. And then to celebrate, they're like, yes, you can finally go through the forbidden door. So they have to enter in the basement through the secret passageway underneath the Staten statue, which is weird. Uh, they try a bunch of doors. 
comically most of them are the incorrect one and then finally we get like a drawing of a castle surrounded by mist and it's just like ah that's where most of our kind lives including your future husband so you better not fall in love with a human it's the biggest taboo and that's our first episode I thought episode one was pretty good. Bits of uh, old-timey racism notwithstanding. Like, it established the most important characters. We we know basically everything we need to know about Ranzi. We know her powers. We know her personality, which is essentially just boy crazy. And we know her dynamics with all the other major characters. Just yep. from episode one. We know uh, the parents and their relationship. We know the antagonist, Yoko, and her parents' relationship, which is really close and loving, apparently. So that's nice, rather than Ranze, who's kind of stuck in between parents who are in some kind of semi-abusive relationship. Uh, so yeah, I, I think the art and animation hold up surprisingly well for something from um, the 1980s. There, there was never really a moment where I felt put off by the way it was animated, or where I noticed that they held on excessively long on one still frame. Yeah, there were several moments as well where I thought, oh, that looks really interesting and nice, such as like the background shots of the house. I think you mentioned the trees that looked really nice. And uh, when they did Rinza's first, uh, the, see, I did it too. Ranze's, the scene where Ranze bites Yoko in the bathroom, like the way that was handled with the colors, editing, and sound, I think worked really nicely. And they put most of their animation effort into that scene. <laughs> what did you think of the episode, Ian? It was all right. <laughs> yeah. The one thing, weirdly, that hasn't aged that well is the uh, there was some oddly abrupt uh, editing. I noticed that more in... Um, I noticed that more towards episode three when they were sitting on the couch and there were very quick cuts of... Uh, but but they, they didn't feel quite, like, uh, quick enough is the weird thing. The one thing I will say, and it's... I don't mean this in a bad way, uh, but we're going to notice this in this episode. We're going to notice this in the next few episodes. That this is, I mean, it's definitely like an, a, a show that is aimed at young children, and they're taking their cues from the sort of like Tom and Jerry's uh, mm-hmm. Looney Tunes. Yes, this isn't like if you watch it, like half the shows these days, where the animators are taking their job like super fucking seriously. <laughs> as like the yeah we're gonna totally be respectable and this is an art form and it's not just for kids it's like yeah this is for kids <laughs> this is a cartoon quote unquote in the way that when people say cartoons are for kids these days they mean that's cartoons. what they mean yes <laughs> they, they mean cartoons used to be like this they did used to be like this i'd say the biggest drawback of episode one is probably ranza's character uh you mean the entire run? i kind of liked her the way she like interacted with Yoko, the way she wasn't afraid to stand up with her, how she was always like essentially blazing her trail. But then we have the other oh, the love at first side trope, which you bemoaned, I think, Ian, and I think we can all agree is just not very good. It didn't bother me in this show because it's a silly comedy. Like this is a show. Like I think we did the the rants is supposed to be about fifteen, so they're all either in their final year of middle school or in their first year of high school, they all act like they're fucking eight. <laughs> <laughs> and no, not just the people in school. Everyone. Yes. 
like the, the the entrance the entrance to the secret dungeon that leads to the demon world is pull pull Satan's ears and then stick your fingers up Satan's nose and yes. then he will shuffle aside and reveal a trapdoor to the basement. There's an inherent sense of childishness that is permeating the entire anime. Actually, can we talk about that for a second? She's <sighs> just transferring into this, which usually you would think would mean that the characters had moved to another place, and now you need a new school. But the but the she mustn't have never been to school, or maybe got expelled or something from another school, <laughs> because otherwise. There's no way they would have had the time to put all the secret passages into the house they just moved into. <laughs> yes. Also, it's really harsh of them to make her take a test on the first day of school, like minutes after she's transferred, <laughs> when she has had no chance uh, to catch up on any of the material and has no idea what any of it would be. Good old Japanese education system. Okay, so we can move on to episode two then. So episode two, Door to the Demon World. Um, it starts off with the mother coming into Ranza's room while she's asleep. And since she looks so content, I'm just going to decide to go into her dreams and see what she's so happy about. Wait a minute. She's happy about She's kissing a boy who isn't a demon. I'm going to get all mad and ruin the dream for her and then <laughs> give her a talking to as soon as she wakes up. And then snitch on her to my husband. That was <laughs> like personal space violation, Okasa. Okay? Ranza is naturally upset with the mother. And she decides that if she is a normal girl, then her mother can't get angry at her if she gets together with a mortal. So the way that you become a mortal is I'm going to go and ask the demon king to turn me into a normal. Makes sense. Down into the secret passageway, tweak the nose of the devil, etc., etc., and go through the forbidden door with the talking parrot pet of the family to accompany her. Skip ahead to the next day. The parents are talking about what to do with her. They're a bit suspicious because she hasn't came down to breakfast. At some point, they have a fight because, of course, they do. And then the dad is required to go to the school to spy on her, which he's going to do quite a lot. Um, <laughs> but she's not at school because she is walking through the mists in the demon world. Obviously lost because there's nothing to see. Like, you can't see more than five five feet ahead of you so naturally she falls into a puddle and then the puddle is like a hole that takes her back into the regular world. the bird um, who i should probably mention is called peck although that's not important gets taken back to where everyone else in the family is which is the dad's coffin for some reason whereas ranza has been <laughs> separated from Peck in the gymnasium at her school. Peck informs us that this was like a wishing well and that when you fall into it, it takes you to where or who you want to be with the most in the world. So that's why he went back to the parents and stuff and she went to the gymnasium, which is where Yoko and Shun are just a way to walk into. She looks for a place to hide. She decides to hide in a box of baseballs. That doesn't work. And she's running out of time, so she's like, aha, I will bite this baseball and turn into a baseball and thus successfully hide, which is a bad plan, but it, it does succeed. She gets to overhear Kamiya confronting Makabe over who he likes best, and he says, well, he's not interested in relationships. They talk about the father's business for a while, and I mean, he picks up a baseball, the baseball that is Ranza, and goes to play baseball with his friends, and they start playing baseball with her. And she is way too into it. She gets hit, home run style. You're happy being struck by your beloved Makabe-kun, is what she says to herself. <laughs> While 
being squashed inside the ball. Like, she's into some weird shit, and that's all... Let's not kink-shame her. Indeed. She was also punched in the first episode and was really happy by him and was really happy about it. Yeah, like, I don't want to keep... I don't Like, we can talk about her more in, in like, a little bit, but, man, am I not getting on with her <laughs> character. <laughs> yeah, so she gets hit, like, home run style. The ball ends up on a street somewhere, and she's just sort of sitting there watching, like, people go by. She swoons over Maccabee as he, like, stands gazing into the mid-distance from a bridge. <laughs> and eventually, a dog starts to play with the ball, and that makes her sneeze and transform back. Later on, she realizes that she's going to need to avoid getting into trouble, and that she'll probably get into less trouble if she comes back still transformed. So she bites the dog that turned her from the baseball back into the girl, and then goes home as the dog. It doesn't actually seem to lessen her punishment because uh, at the end of the episode, she's being tied up and suspended from the window. I, I thought episode two was still a fairly solid episode, working on doing most of the same stuff that um, one did. However, it did drive Ranze much more into stalker territory, and it'll get worse in episode three. But her obsession with a guy she's known for all of a day is pretty outstanding, even by shoujo standards. Like, I mean, she sits next to him in class, so maybe she gets to learn a bit more about him. But his personality isn't exactly stellar. He, he's the generic loner bad boy. I am so cool on my own. I like doing sports. That whole um, Demon World thing was very Deus Ex Machina-ish. Because when you see that, like, premise, in it's like, oh, she's going to run away from home. And then she's going to be away for a little while, and then she's going to realize that actually she's better off with her family, and they'll come to some sort of arrangement. No, that's that's not where they went. They're with. It was like they were like, yeah, it's cool if she goes to the Dean world, and then they're like, but wait a minute, we don't have the writing chops to write that part Let's <laughs> back into the world because this was not uh, in the manga, so they this would have needed to be original. How do we feel about the uh, visual representation of the demon world? You mean the big pile of mist? The big pile of yellow piss mist, yes. <laughs> and then the roughly similarly coloured water that they somehow ended up inside. But then when they're inside, it looks like normal blue water when you look up at the... It's nice and spooky. It's weird, because when we saw the demon world in the first episode, like I just thought it looked like a... I don't want to say a painting, because it's all black and white, but like an ink drawing of like a, of like a generic... like. Transylvania castle. It's, it's the, like a castle in the mist, and I think it, it just works better in the back if they just hadn't chosen piss yellow as the color. <laughs> but I don't know what else they really could have chosen to make the mist work. The best thing about it is the cheesy prog rock uh, soundtrack whenever they go into the demon world. <laughs> the thing we're really learning about her is not just that she's got like fallen head over heels in like a ridiculous shoujo way, it's that she's just kind of a ditz. Just they're like, oh, I can't think of anywhere good to hide. I'll turn into a ball, regardless of the fact that I don't know how to try. I'm going to transform back out afterwards. And it's not like it would have been that weird for her to have been in the gym. I, I guess she wasn't wearing her school uniform, but like she had, she could have had reason to be in there. To be honest, those are the most entertaining parts of the show. Her being a <laughs> complete dumbass mm -hmm. at least like she's not at Cinder because this was around the time of Urutse Yatsura as like the predominant shoujo manga so it's good that there was no like major rip off of that and just 
be working that. Although it, the sneeze gimmick, the sneeze gimmick to transform back does remind me at least a little bit of Ranma One and a Half, where he also has to sneeze to switch between his male and female forms. All right, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna say the first volume of Negima, and I was like, that doesn't <laughs> really at all. No, no, indeed, it does not. Regarding your Tsundra point, I feel like that trope became more popular once it had a name. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was named until the early 2000s. Yeah. I don't think it was a, a big problem. Like, the heydays of Tsundra are when we get, like, Zero no Tsukaima and just, like, as soon as... Um, God damn it, I'm forgetting her name right now. Line! Do you mean Toradora? No, no, I'm saying, um, like, the rise of Tsundra is really just the arc of Rie Kugamiya's career. Um. <laughs> and this is in this episode we also see more of that really weird quick cut anything that freya mentioned when uh ranze is about to come home as the dog we have a a scene of the th- of the family members all sitting at the couch reading something including the bird he has something between his wings half a second cuts to their faces and they're just really quick them looking pissed and them sitting there going like i wonder where ranze is <laughs> like pretending to be nonplussed. The way to the way I interpret this scene, Danny, is like they're they're just they're they're aware that the plot isn't going to progress until she arrives home. Patiently <laughs> <laughs> for her to arrive. Also, the mother the mother is reading a magazine called Happy, which that's that's something. <laughs> something you also didn't mention is that we learned that the dad is an author of romance novels. So in my head, Canon he is now responsible for writing Twilight as self-insert fanfiction. Yes, where he's not the self-insert, he's the the love interest. Yes, but the, he's writing a version. He's No, 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 he's writing Midnight Sun, the, the reverse version of Twilight. Uh, That's from Edward's perspective. That got cancelled because the issues got leaked. I know way too much about Twilight. It's bad. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. But uh, not because of the obvious reasons, but because it uh, appropriates Native American culture. On that note, episode three... <laughs> which does not appropriate Native American culture, uh, is called Bathroom Crisis. Yeah, we're starting off with another dream sequence. Uh, I hope they don't keep doing that. Oh, Maccabee-kun, Maccabee-kun, why are you in my dreams? It's so great. Oh, why am I falling through this puddle, just like in the last episode? Why are you and Yoko standing over me? No, wake up. Again, keeping with the, her previous reactions, she thinks it's really cool that he was so distant, acting so distant to her. So if you had questions about what the fact that when she bites something, she turns into it, what implications that has for her eating, this is the episode that talks a lot about that. Um, the mother basically gives her an entire lecture during breakfast about the importance of chewing properly before swallowing, which I certainly knew before the age of 15. I don't know if she ignores it or or what, or she just doesn't have enough control, but she then promptly turns it to a slice of bread. But the things that you sort of expect kind of get explained to her. It's like, it's important that you don't transform every time you eat, so you need to learn how to be able to control it. And it's very important that if you trans- transform into something, it's something that is alive so that you can get into a position where you can untransform. And if you can't control yourself, well, you won't be able to stay in the human world. So far, so good. And then, weirdly, an explanation about how it's important that she doesn't fall in love with humans so she can maintain the purity of the bloodline. <sighs> See, because in the first episode, uh, it was just sort of be like, we just sort of expected it to be like an arranged marriage. Like, oh, you'll have to marry another demon and blah, 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 blah. But no, it just seems to be <laughs> about bloodline purity. Doesn't, not happy about that, but we're going to move on. 
So she, it thinks, seems like she might have been off from school for a while because um, this guy Shusai is talking with Shun about her. But she, but she turns up, and then this seems to piss off Yoko. They get into a bit of a fight over everything. Basically, every time they interact from now on, they're just going to be dicks to one another. And then afterwards, Shusai is like, ah, oh, it's okay, you can copy my notes, you can count on me. He's, he's totally got the hots for her. We get the dad spying on her again, not for any real reason, but he does try and stop her from chasing after Shun uh, when he goes home at the end of the day, which takes us on to the second half of the episode, which is about her escaping her dad and then having a weird stalker thing with Shun. That's one way of calling that sequence. To give her dad the slip, she turns into a bird and then flies into his house. And Shuna is like a nice guy about it. It's like, oh, birdie, birdie, you must be good with humans, etc., etc. Gives her a little bit of attention. And then he's like, well, I have to go box, uh, go to boxing now. Here, you can play in the cage with my bird, the bird who will try to seduce her uh, <laughs> later on. Uh. In while she's having her life, the dad is just going around trying to find her. He gets into like an argument with a dog and all sorts. Tries to follow her as an umbrella. It's it's a weird thing. Before we like catch up with her, we get to get a, we got a bit more of Sh- of Shun's daily life. He boxes at the gym that Yoko's Yakuza father runs. He he's got some boxing talent, but he also gets beaten up quite badly by the dude uh, he's sparring with. And it appears that not only are they trying, that is Yoko's dad and Yoko trying to get her and him together. Uh, her father actually is interested in Shun's mother, which is kind of messed up, but whatever. Rather than that being messed up, I feel like it's way more messed up the way Yoko is prodding him on and like nagging yeah. him about it. Yeah. They're, they're both way too into each other's relationships. <laughs> But skip ahead. When she is in the bird cage, a neighbor's cat comes in and tries to eat the birds, I guess. Thankfully, stopping the other bird from assaulting her. Thankfully. Uh, this causes her to sneeze, and then she breaks the cage and becomes a human. But she's only a human for a short period of time uh, because she hears some st- some footsteps, and she's like, oh shit, I'd better turn into the cat. Like we said, huge dumbass. So as the cat, she tries to go out the front door, I guess. And then the mother is like, oh, uh, Shun, you should have a bath and you should also take the, the, the neighbor's stray cat in with you. So we have a weird bath scene where he showers and then bathes and takes the cat in with her. At some point she sneezes, turns back into a human and then hides under the water to hide from him and then eventually manages to escape out of the window. And then the episode wraps up with her meeting her father outside of the house Neither of them have a good explanation for why they are there. Uh, And then she tries to have a heartfelt conversation with him about, is it so bad to be in love with a human, etc, etc, etc. And we end the episode there. I think you can tell a lot about what I think about the episode by how I describe them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This episode sees our heroine spend most of it wishing that uh, her love interest looked at her like he looks at animals. So here's the things she likes about him, just to recap. How he looks, how he is so cold to her, how he looks how wistfully at the off from the top of a bridge, how he ignores her, how he is nice to a bird, how he hits her with a bat when she has a baseball. How he is very nice to a cat he's never met before. How strong he is when he punches her in the face. 
honestly, even as far as like shoujo, like protagonists go, like she is extraordinarily one-dimensional. The only two things you need to know her about her is that she is impulsive and that she really digs this dude. No matter what he does. If he picked his nose and ate it in front of her, she'd be like, <laughs> ah, kakui. <laughs> uh, and most of the things we said about him make, make him seem like an asshole, which he kind of is, but none of them are really his fault. He's just called to her because he doesn't want to have anything to do with her and kind of keeps forcing herself on him. The, the only thing that w- which he should have apologized for is punching her in the face. But that was more of an accident than anything... Like, he, he's not mean-spirited to her in any way. He just doesn't care for her, and she's obsessed with him. Is he aware of that? I mean, it's it's it would be kind of hard not to be for him, but... With the way Yoko acts around him, maybe he just thinks that's how people should react to him. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, episode three is fine. Uh, <laughs> it got kind of a, kind, kind of obnoxious at points, to be honest. Certainly, but but it's still not it's not terrible. It's just kind of annoying. I like the note they ended on. Well, yeah, the the ending was like the thing is, it was actually more complex than it could have been because the dad doesn't really actually talk that much in her, and he clearly must have some sympathy for her as a rom- romance writer and the arguably more ex- understanding parent. But at the same time, he doesn't like say, yes, you should just go with your, your heart's desires. He's just he, he just sort of like just sort of like gives her like a serious look. Well, he's just quiet and sort of looks at the ground uh, ambiguously and is like, OK, we're going home. Presumably it'll turn out at the end there's a, there's more serious reason as to why she's not supposed to get together with a human boy. No, no, no. It's just so they don't have they don't mess up their racial purity. <laughs> Other things I like, I I actually really liked is the um the whole food bit that you mentioned at the beginning of the episode. We joked about it while watching it because we thought they weren't going to address it, but then they actually did because it's something that of course you would have to think about. And it's nice that the anime actually thought it uh, and the manga thought this through about what this ability would mean in in her everyday life, what consequences would have, and chose to address it. That that was really nice. Usually, when you base your story around a gimmick, you at least give some thought to how uh, said gimmicky power would uh, actually work. My initial thought was just like, okay, clearly there's going to be two phases. Like, when you're, for want of a better phrase, vampire aroused, like your teeth will be out and you'll be able to transform. And when you're not, you'll just be able to eat normally. I think that's the the, the cop-out, but they'd just seem to be like... Well, I guess just every time she puts anything in her mouth, she's going to turn into it, uh, which is not the way I would have done it, but whatever. I, I was interested, I mentioned earlier, that they've sort of set up this like secondary relationship with um, the more straight-laced shoe, uh, shoe side, who I guess in normal, under normal circumstances would be like the class president type. Mm-hmm. You know exactly what I'm thinking of, listener. You know exactly what I'm thinking of. <laughs> but I don't know that he's going to have any specific appearance in this show. From his design, honestly, he looks more like throwaway character B than anybody who would be important. However, Yoko does say, uh, like, oh, you two will be nice together. So there's me thinking that she'll kind of try to get him and Ranze together so that she can have Makoto all to herself. Yeah, I like that they set that up. I think that I think that as far as like standard romance polyhedra go, <laughs> a, a square is slightly more interesting than a triangle. <laughs> 
the whole bathroom sequence, it's like it's it's all very much played for comedy. There's no real fan service anywhere in the show, but she she's just hiding in the bathtub, embarrassed and for good reasons trying not to get caught because how do you explain, oh, I suddenly appeared in your bathtub? It helps that she is fully clothed. Mm-hmm. But it, it goes on for a while, like And it's not very funny. One thing that I will say for this anime is is that I feel like its comedic animation was done very well. Even if the jokes don't land necessarily, the animators certainly know how to make the visual gags work in the way the reaction shots are done. They know exactly how much to have the have a line then one, two, reaction beat. Like I, I felt like the way its comedic timings were represented yes. were done uh, very well. I really love the reaction to her having the chair thrown over her head in the first episode, which mm-hmm. is to say, nothing. <laughs> uh, if I could just take a minute to talk about the manga, and I read the first few chapters. It's fairly close to what we see in the anime. There's some minor changes, such as Ranze not being a transfer student, but already being in the class. There being a day of her g- in between uh, the first day and her uh, fight with Yoko in the bathroom. She goes home in between in the manga. They also choose to exclude some stuff from chapter two. The whole bit of her going to the demon world doesn't happen. She just intercepts a letter from Yoko to Makabe and goes to the storage room by herself. And also the whole bathroom thing is end of episode, uh, end of chapter two. But most of the changes that were made, I think, were actually for the better as they kind of streamlined the story. If it's her first day in the classroom, we have a much easier way of introducing the characters. The whole breakfast scene also wasn't in the first two chapters, and we agreed that was a nice thing. It does it, it, it does change it into a love at first sight story, which it doesn't sound like it was in the manga. Uh, I, I I can't tell you how quickly they fell in love in the, how quickly she fell in love in the manga because we don't know how long she's been here, but I still presume it's uh, a very early love because she says a day after changing schools, my eyes were caught by him. Like it's it's she still falls in love with him in like a day, but I think most of the changes were made were for the better. There is one thing that uh, really sticks out to me that we haven't talked about, which is the style that they've went for with many of the backgrounds um, yes. is very much in a collage style thing. Um, if you're thinking Madoka, you're in the right ballpark, but think Madoka, but cheap. <laughs> <laughs> um, it gives the whole thing a very flat texture, which is interesting. You've said that this does not this is not the style they went for in the manga. Yes, yes. Uh, there is no, there's not really a that strong of a feeling of a unique art style. The art is just, I don't want to say it's generic shoujo, but it kind of is. There's nothing really that makes it stand out distinct from that many other manga of its type. The thing about it being so flat is it kind of feels like a uh, picture book or a pop-up book, and I'm not sure mm. why. But I think it fits with how uh, childish this uh, feeling is with this show. Also, they do this thing a lot where they'll cut to a character and have uh, like a cartoony background where it's like orange with green spots or red and blue stripes that are shaking and stuff like that, which uh, it's okay. It's not a thing that happens much anymore. And even without that, like the family's interior decorating sense is quite horrible. Like their kitchen wallpaper is bright orange with white spots. Yes. Although it's generally a, a decent style, it is very distracting at some point. 
like in episode one when Yoko is going down the stairs and it's just like I'm not getting understanding the vertical layout of this of where everything's laid out or when she's walking through the the blockers and like because the roof and the of the lockers is on like the same level as the locker there's only, there's only two levels so it kind of reminds me of like kid puppets where you've just got like the background <laughs> held up and they're, and they're just being moved along between it. Oh, that's a much better comparison than what I said. I don't hate it, but I don't know what they're going for with it. It just seemed to be like an easy thing to make, I think. It's, it's kind of just reminded me of like when you see like medieval tapestries and then like before <laughs> we discovered perspective. The coloring is very flat, generally speaking. They do do some decent jobs of it, of dirtying it up, particularly in the underground. Uh, so it's not quite as boring as you might think. It's interesting what they what they fix the details on. Like they'll do like a really like nice like slender portrait or satellites. I hate to say this, but it makes them pop. <laughs> and I also want to reiterate once again that I felt the animation still holds up fairly well like there's it never feels stilted in that way some other shows from around this time period do where it just feels like the animation wasn't quite there yet or the characters move in very stiff and wooden ways like most of it here feels very fluid and um and coherent this is no filmation uh cartoon (laughs) No, no offense to them well, th- this is where I think the like, the joking references to like Tom and Jerry and stuff are like warranted. There yeah. are some scenes where they just keep the character still and move the background and stuff, but they sit- tend to choose that very carefully for like their fights and stuff. It's the very much the like confused jumble of things. Like I don't think it's insulting to say that this was probably done on the cheap, but they mostly made it all work. <laughs> if you're going to get annoyed at anything, it's probably the facial expressions, but you can get past that relatively easily. I actually like the the style, the way they do facial expressions, where they go to from normal anime size eyes to dot eyes, because they, they mostly do it for comedic uh, effect. And it's kind of like how they used to make characters into chibi characters. Like here, they go into this kind of dot dot faced character mode, essentially. And it works within the, within the anime. The slera of your eyes. <laughs> there you go. You've learned something today. Your word of the day. Other than that, like, was there anything else about the characters that really stood out to you? So the one character that I wish we talked more about is the dad. He is my favorite character. So that is uh, Mori uh, Eto, not Yakuza dad, who, aside from looking like Uncle Fester, does nothing for me. <laughs> like, why is he in this show so much? <laughs> That's what I want to know, right? Because he's a romance writer, right? He should be at home writing all fucking day. But he seems to be spending all of his time on Inspector Clouseau hijinks. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a good way of describing it, yeah. He, he's a van- he's a hen-pecked vampire house husband who spends most of his time transforming into umbrellas or playing detective. And his best friend is presumably the parrot, because it's definitely not his wife. <laughs> I don't think in the three episodes there was a single scene of them being in like a loving relationship. It was mostly her yelling at him. Played for comedic effect. He had his problems. The first episode, he said some really gaslighting horseshit. Yes. Like, they're having their fight about, uh, just like, ah, you must have cheated on me with a human and had a ranza. And then later on, he's just like, oh, we should be proud to have such a lovely daughter. Spare me, mother of my children. It's like, dude, uh. have some fucking consistency. But at the same time, I think he is, like, I actually find him, gen- like, quite amusing. Like, he has a fight with a dog. 
umbrellas. That's a very that's a very pig panther uh, scene, actually. Like he goes down on all four, barks at the dog, he runs up the uh, the lamppost like vertically, and it's it, it's great. I think it's the best like pure slapstick comedic exchange in the three episodes. Yes. I mean, I just want to say he's also the one who gets the most, like, uh... He has the most complexity. Yes, thank you. Uh, let's talk about the music, then. I This, again, like, Tom and Jerry feels like the composer was told to write music for every scene. It's, it's not bad. It, it works. It, it helps the comedy. It was just, it was very noticeable that there was music all the freaking time. <laughs> yes. There's no silence. The problem with it being around the whole time is it kind of just blends into the rest of the show, which is fine. Like, it wasn't distracting. The, the music's good. Uh, I think I think the highlight musical musical piece of this was the ending. Yeah, um, I'll talk about both the opening and the ending then. In both cases, the singer is Harami Kamo, who I could find very little on, except I do know that she has changed her stage name twice, which didn't make things easier. Uh, the only other anime credit I could find was for Attacker U, which is a 1984 football OVA. The opening is called Tokimeki Tonight, just like the show is. It's a like poppy song with some slight bossa nova elements. It's meh. Yeah, we're we're talking peak city pop, and I'm okay throwing it under that heading. But <laughs> doesn't like it when I do that, so moving on. Visually, it was a pretty dull opening. There, I like the shutter scenes at the front mm-hmm. where they're just like showing you the characters with the things doing it. There's a really good one when we have uh, Ranza and Yoko like facing each other, or was it away from each other, just being rivals. That was good. But other than that, it was it was just happy birthday wrapping paper backgrounds with her skipping or blinking or lying down in front of it. I have to say, me and Freya's subs gave it one of my favourite lines I've ever seen in the opening. I'm just one of the vertices of a triangular relation. <laughs> well, that, that, is, that is literally true. Now, the ending I like better. Um, the song here is called Super Love Lotion. This is probably the thing that's remembered most about the show to be honest yeah i think the uh, the ending is because well like when i saw it, i was like oh yeah i've seen this before it's not clear if she is wearing anything other than the vampire cape but she's just doing like silly dance moves like dancing to the left as the right like playing peekaboo with the camera and stuff it's fun it was like visually distinctive the, ly- the lyrics are a bit silly. Things like sparkling eyes, flowing hair, and the scent of shampoo. Super love lotion. Yeah, that's all I have to say. Well, uh, with all that, it's time to figure out what we thought of it. So, Denny, how many nose pokes would you give Satan? If you had a third nose hole, I'd poke him three times. So, there's your verdict. I'm not going to repeat all of what I said, but I, I actually enjoyed myself with the show quite a bit. It got more laughs out of me than I expected from a show this old. I, I had a good time with this. It's not something I'm personally going to watch more of it, because I feel like it's going to get tiring, but it was a very solid show. And considering how well it holds up, that makes it even more impressive. The adaptational changes all helped to make it a better show. So yeah, I think it's a very solid three out of five show. How about you, Freya? I'm not sure. Because, on the one hand, I enjoy the main character being a dumbass, but her, like, pining after the guy is getting tiring very quickly. Uh, I also don't really like 
the dynamic between the parents, which, you know, different time and all that, but I don't know. I don't really like that kind of sort of bickering being played for broad comedy like that. My favorite part of the show was her uh, stuffed penguin in the bed with its incredibly wide staring eyes. But it's fine outside of that. Two, two and a half. All right. How about you, Ian? I've been going back and forth over this. I, two or two and a half might be right. I'm just thinking back to like how much I shout over Galaxy Express 99. Yeah, that's the thing, right? I feel like that show was better. Whereas I don't like, I think it was one of those things where, and we're not supposed to do this, but like I feel like when I saw Galaxy Express 999, I expected better and was disappointed. Whereas this, I had such low expectations going in that it was hard to disappoint me too much. Yeah, let's say let's let's say two. It was funny enough, I guess. According to you, Ian, this is worse than Parasite Dolls. Yeah, uh, I mean, Parasite Dolls wasn't that bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Parasite Dolls got really dragged down by his episode, yeah, which yeah. is what he said at the time. Whereas this was this was much more steady in quality. I mean, I'm paying it worse. I'm paying it worse than Get Backers. I think that's fair. <laughs> Have you got any facts with us and less accusations, please, Danny? <laughs> uh, I have a singular fact. Um, namely that fans of the series can now get married with an official Tokimiki Tonight marriage application in Japan. Nice. Like, I didn't know this was a thing until a few months ago when I saw Lucky Star one. <laughs> I'm like, who, what, why, where, how? <laughs> All the questions. Ian, wouldn't you like to get married with Lucky Star theming? I have no intention of getting married to anyone, Lucky Star registration form or otherwise. <laughs> I don't know that, there, that I have a fact, but did both of you know that Hello Kitty had a twin sister? No. <laughs> yes, I think. <laughs> so Hello Kitty has a twin sister called Mimi White. And the reason I bring this up is that Yoko Kamiya's voice is Mina Tominaga. And while it may not be their most famous role, they have played Mimi White. And I did not know that Hello Kitty had a twin sister. Well, there you go. So, Ian, what will we be watching next week? So, sticking with the uh, romance theme, I guess. Um, Gonna be watching going in the opposite tonal direction. <laughs> uh, yeah, we could you even watch the name of the show. I did. It got it got covered. Oh, well, yes. I'm so please, please, please do it again. again. Orange, orange, orange. <laughs> please say the orange. less annoying tone that'll that'll won't make it weird for when orange. I edit this together. <laughs> That, that you don't just sound pissed entirely. <laughs> next, thing, next, week, next week, we will be watching Orange. Jesus Christ. I said it in like 20 different ways for you. Yes, but, but it's going to be annoying to have to edit the word to the rest of the sentence. <laughs> and the sentence again. Yeah, next week we'll be sticking with the... Now I, now I feel like I sound pissed. Uh, yeah, next week we'll be sticking with the romance theme, arguably. Uh, the, the, no, that's, why arguably? Yeah, next week we'll be sticking with the romance theme and be watching Orange. Thank yes. You. We are the Enemy Research Group, a weekly podcast coming out every Thursday, more or less. 
If you'd like to tell us what you thought of the episode, or suggest something for future episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at research underscore anime, or drop us an email at researchanime at gmail.com. Nope, that was fine.